Our lives as Christians are full of challenging situations, painful trials, and unexpected disappointments. And in the midst of all such difficulties, we can sometimes feel like failures when our lives don't reflect our Savior like we wish they did. What do we do when our faith feels weak or our walk with Christ feels like a mess? In our interview today, I'm talking with Lewis and Sarah Allen. Sarah leads the women's ministry, and Lewis serves as senior pastor of Hope Church in Huddersfield, West Yorkshire, England. They're also the co-authors of Resilient Faith, Learning to Rely on Jesus in the Struggles of Life from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Lewis and Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be here. Hello. Great to be here. So I think it's a pretty common experience for Christians to, at some point in their lives, feel discouraged in their walk with God, to feel like their faith is maybe particularly weak or to just to feel like their Christian life is a mess. To start us off, I wonder if you two can resonate with that feeling. Lewis, let's start with you. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I think emotionally, temperamentally, I'm, I'm a very balanced person. But see me most Mondays, I'm a pastor, Sunday's big work, they're big focus. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty, pretty messy, pretty weak, pretty tender. Like God's grace, I still believe what I preached on Monday. It just feels harder when, you know, when you're exhausted and you see problems, you deal with problems and you see your own heart. So definitely can relate to that. How about you, Sarah? Have you ever felt like your life was just a mess? Yeah, certainly. I think being a parent is just brings with it so many joys, but also plenty of discouragements. I think our hearts are self bound up with the well-being of our children. So when our children struggle, we struggle, we feel hurt, we feel sad for them, we grieve with them. And so there have been times when our children have been going through really difficult things in their upbringing, when I felt on the floor, to be honest, and really just clinging on, feeling like things are a bit out of control. And so yeah, those have been hard times. I think just the nature of life, juggling different things, juggling involvement in church, family life, paid employment, just trying to keep all those different balls in the air can just sometimes leave you so physically tired that then that impacts on your spiritual life and in your emotional well-being as well. You're just trying to hold things together and you can lose perspective on what really matters. So I know both of you have spent a lot of time talking with young people uh, and you, you're engaged with them a lot in your ministry and in your lives. Mm-hmm. Do you both have a sense that this experience, feeling deeply discouraged about our Christian lives, feeling like our lives are, are chaotic and messy, is a, a more common phenomenon today than it, than it might have been in previous generations? Lewis, what do you think about that? I do agree, Matt. And Sarah and I are blessed with children. We've got three, three in their early mid-20s, a late teenager, a mid-teenager. And we found ourselves saying, particularly to those in the 20s, guys, we just had it so much more easy than you did when we were at that stage. And in the early 90s, the world was a simpler place. It was, quote, easier to be a Christian. The world's a very, very different place. And many ways, it just seems so much harder Mm. to be a young disciple today. See, that's not what we often get from our elders. We, we often hear, oh, you know, back in my day, we had to walk up uphill both ways, you know, that, that dynamic. But so, so what is it about the world that we live in today and, and what young people in particular are facing when it comes to their Christian lives that you two would say makes it harder in some ways to, to walk faithfully and have a vibrant faith? 
think specifically the uh, the advent of the internet makes a massive difference to, to all of us, doesn't it? It affects our ability to concentrate. It means we're exposed to so many different sources of information. There's so much out there. We're not in our family, in our small peer group, in our churches, hearing those voices, but suddenly a huge array of different voices, which we are attempted to be distracted and go after different things to be caught up in different peer groups and maybe not be listening to simple, clear voices that are around us. So I think that can cause confusion and it can cause, it can be overwhelming just the amount of of fast paced change and information that's around us, as well as just the kind of some really very destructive influences that we can be exposed to, young people c- can be exposed to online. So I think that makes life harder. Certainly in the UK at the moment, financially things are difficult. Houses cost more to buy. Just, uh, we're dealing with a great deal of uncertainty financially, which is really hitting uh, young people. They just can't get onto stable housing. And all these different physical constraints cause young people to really question, you know, where is God in this? What is a normal life? What does what does what does should life look like? And they have a lot of questions, I think. Mm. Yeah, it can be so easy for us to sort of when we think about our Christian lives, maybe want to put some of the physical daily life realities like our homes and our jobs, put those to the side. But those are are important a part of the story. But I did want to go back to something you said earlier, Sarah, just about the influences that maybe there's more of them now pressing themselves mm-hmm. upon us in part because of the Internet. How big a feature is that, that, that it, it's often the messages that we're hearing, the influences that are on us, even our expectations about what life is supposed to be like? H- how often is that setting us up for frustration mm-hmm. and discouragement, would you say, Lewis? Yeah, one one of our sons was saying how few people in his peer group of friends really do have long term ambitions. They they because I think particularly post pandemic, but life just seems very unstable, really tough economically. So few think about saving. So few think that housing, as I mentioned, is, is within their reach. Um, that's just a hugely discouraging headspace to live with and then to be a disciple is like you're doubling your load of difficulty and of course the rapidly changing culture which Sarah talked about is just so much more hostile to orthodox Christianity and discipleship obviously around sexuality question but there's just many many others as well I think as well, I think it's easy to look on to Instagram or Snapchat, whatever services people use and see glossy, easy lives and compare yourself with those things and think, well, I just don't match up. My life's never going to match up. And I think that maybe is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons for the lack of ambition that young people have. They think, well, I can't get that. So why bother trying? I'll just drift along or in the easy to feel disheartened and disconsolate because there's just the ideals that are put before them are so glossy and glamorous. They're so far reached from daily life mm. and the struggles that they experience. So I, I know those kinds of ideals are often, we think of them in terms of monetary realities, you know, wealth and power and prestige and kind of the world at large. Do you think there are times when Christians also come up against Christian ideals that feel like they're too far out there? Is that part of the story that young people are kind of sold a message about the Christian life itself 
that isn't realistic or is discouraging. Yes, I I think that's true. I think we could because we can tune into amazing preachers online, can't we? Or listen to fantastic worship experiences or we can look at somebody's instagram posts of very pretty bible verses with beautiful images around them and that can just feel so far away from the daily life as part of a local church community where the music might not be amazing where the preaching is good meat but it's not some brilliant name preaching who's got a great research team behind them it the daily and weekly internets of church life of family life in the body of christ has all kinds of gritty stuff in it doesn't it and that is not presented largely it's a very individualized spirituality i think we encounter online of people's personal work with the lord and we don't see that what it means to be part of the body of christ of bearing each other's burdens of the going along to a prayer meeting uh, when which is maybe not well attended. That's not, we don't see that yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, the mundane of the Christian but, life. But mm-hmm. if I can add something which is quite different from what you've just said, Sarah, I think a lot of preachers and older Christians also maybe feel they so want to empathize with and show compassion to younger Christians who are finding life just very brutally difficult. I wonder if in some ways we don't always help them because we want to make so many concessions we we can be scared of speaking strongly and urging on a call to self-denial and cross-bearing we're actually not helping young adults because we're we're almost hyper aware which leads us to i'm repeating myself to it to an unhelpful it's all hard isn't it and that can be as as corrosive as as any other pressure So in a little bit, I'd like to explore a few specific reasons that Christians can often feel like their lives are a mess. So kind of let's dig into some of the specifics of why this might happen to us. But before we go there, I wanted to talk about this broader idea of resilience, of having a resilient faith. Uh, And that's something you, you two talk a lot about. So Lewis, maybe to start with you, what do you mean by that term resilient faith? Yeah, I would say, well, as we know that there's been a huge secular industry and, and an important one, health and even the workplace in the personal lives, just think about keeping on going, you know, the, the obvious brief credit is grit, learning grit, developing grit. I th- and obviously, whilst there are points of contact for the Christian, we believe in grace-based resilience, which is, I would say, learning to live with Jesus, for Jesus, Uh, living with Jesus, learning, growing dependence and delight and living for him, a life of sustained discipleship, which is cross-centered and costly, but should be marked with joy and hope. So how would you respond, Lewis, to someone who hears that and says, that sounds good. Those are a lot of good theological words, but how is that, you know, how is that actually different? Isn't what we really need is just more grit. We need to be like more determined, more committed, and just work harder. And that that's actually the key to living faithfully in the Christian life and persevering. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Pharisees were very, very determined people and they were very hardworking people. And if Christian living is about learning 
techniques learning to be strong according to non-biblical categories, uh, they will take us away from a heart which is tender to the Lord and turn us in on ourselves. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the yeah the secular resilience industry, which is a part of the well-being industry, that I think I've just be, I've just had some training in my secular workplace about resilience, and there's so many connections. Really, because I think because we are you know we're made by God and in His image, and so what the secular workplace offers is just a very shallow version of what the gospel offers it was, you know it's graceless but it tells you to stand back up again after you're knocked down it tells you you need community it tells you, you need a long-term goal it tells you to even to sing i mean these are some things that, that that are recommended in resilience the danger is that christians could just adopt that without the grace because it sounds good it fits with much of the gospel but it's without the grace that actually can sustain that and which means that keeping on going is not just a keeping on going, but it's a growing closer. It's a depending. It's a delighting. It's, so it's not just about going through the motions. It's not about standing up. It's about delighting in God and growing in strength through depending on him. So if some Christians can tend to maybe take that that we'll call it legalistic or kind of law-based approach to the Christian life where you just need to have more discipline and perseverance and 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 that's how you get through i think sometimes others might fall into the category of uh a different kind of category we might call it self-care where there's this uh, there's another industry out there that is sort of related but maybe distinct Mm -hmm. that's always focused on you need to take care of yourself give yourself grace give yourself permission to rest um and and that's a, a big push even you know in certain christian circles sarah how does resilient faith relate to this idea of self-care but is maybe distinct from it as well sure yeah so some of the things you mentioned there like rest just taking sensible care of yourselves obviously that's that's part of christian resilience and that's something we talk about in our book but it's going back to it being grace jesus focus because self-care is i mean that just those those two words if we don't have jesus in there then it becomes self-oriented sin doesn't it It just becomes i'm just going to cosset myself i'm just going to listen to myself but real taking care of ourselves we take ourselves to jesus that's how we're going to flourish that's how we're going to be strong is by taking ourselves back to jesus and listening to his words of comfort but also listening to his hard words listening to his challenge listening to his rebuke and it's also listening to other people being part of his community so often self-care is about having things easy, being on my own, the warm bath, the kind of walks in the forest, things that are going to feel great, but they can be about just about yourself, not about really growing in community with others and a community that depends on Christ. So I'd like to explore a few specific scenarios now that probably all of us have experienced in some form in our lives. But maybe some people listening right now would say, yeah, this is me. This, this describes where I'm at, and it explains perhaps why I'm feeling so discouraged in my life right now. And I, I, was, I was thinking you two could sort of respond to this as if you were sitting across the table with the coffee in hand, trying to provide some counsel or advice yes. to somebody who's coming to you mm-hmm. like this. So maybe, Sarah, let's start with you again here. What would you say to someone who, who says to you, my life is a mess because of my suffering? 
yeah certainly and i've met plenty of people a lot of young people but certainly older people as well who experience that it's very real and we can all identify that can't we that that when suffering comes we just feel like we've been knocked over uh, we flatten our back our normal disciplines and habits go out the window we maybe we stop praying we stop reading our bibles it's just all too hard and to people who are experiencing that and then maybe also feeling real guilt or shame because they call themselves a christian and yet they feel like they're not doing anything they're not doing the things that christians should be doing we, they'll think well i should be i should be praying so much when i'm suffering and yeah it's really hard to do that so i think to people who are in in that circumstance i think it is it is about taking time to take the little steps of a dependence on christ of listening to his word in whatever way you can whether that's in audio form praying those small prayers and crying out to him but not retreating not turning away from god because that's the temptation and everything the worse i've done the worse things get i can't manage i'm failing as a and so i'm just going to hide in my shell but actually that is only going to create further problems so to to creep out of your shell to turn to christ and to see his compassion to see how he suffered and to see how he extends compassion to those who suffer. The Gospels are full of stories, aren't they, of him reaching out to those who suffered, whether it's to the woman who, with her bleeding, who was in desperate measures, and she just reached out her hand and touched his robe and met him. But it was a tiny gesture, a gesture of reaching out to Christ. And in that, she found his power and his love um, that he calls her daughter, doesn't he? Mm. So those stories and gospels which show us christ's compassion are a great place to go to find that comfort but to find that comfort with somebody else to confide in a christian uh, who can then support and encourage and remind you of christ who can be a reader and a prayer with you isolation is one of the worst things in suffering mm. isn't it well if i just had very briefly to answer just get that image of the woman with her need reaching out to christ when I've gone through times of suffering, I think the devil has tempted me and can tempt us in our suffering by saying, you don't have to do X or Y now. We feel we've got a free pass to step away and just to go inside ourselves. And we're tempted to feel entitled when we suffer. So the not reaching out to Christ, we need to be, by those who love us and we know we're loved by them, we need to hear them urging us to keep on being godly pursuing christ and pursuing him in community when everything about us does not want to we just want to withdraw mm -hmm. sometimes the answers really are quite simple but we need to hear them freshly and humble ourselves to to embrace them hmm. sarah i'm thinking a little bit of the person listening who who is hearing all this and would say but you just don't understand the depth of my suffering. Something has mm -hmm. maybe happened to me or something has been done to me that is so mm -hmm. painful. I, I can't see how God yes. could do this to yes. me. And I, and I, I don't mm -hmm. want mm -hmm. to have faith in a God who would do this to me. Sure. So how do, so, we, how do we cultivate yeah. a resilient faith in the face of that kind of pain? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and I, and I can think of some people who you know, who's, who sat in our kitchen and, and cried and cried and cried because of the extreme suffering they've gone, whether it's a, a kind of mental health problem or trauma that they are are dealing with and are sharing. 
But I think I just think of those words of Peter to Jesus. Where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. There's a I think sometimes we need to we need to ask ourselves, what's the alternative and to face up to in my suffering, this grief, this pain, this anger. Am I going to sit with it? Because I've got nothing else. You know, I could I could distract myself with things might take a bit of pain away briefly or I can go to Jesus and I can confess that anger and grief and confusion and pain and sometimes emotional pain feels like physical pain doesn't it it really does feel like you are there's something wrong with your heart when you're really experiencing pain but to sit at Jesus feet and sometimes in silence but to go Lord this is my suffering I can't deal with it but I know you can and to remind ourselves of Jesus' own suffering. He knows how to suffer. He went through the cross. He went through betrayal. He went through being hurt so personally. So we, there were so many resources in Scripture. But the question is, do we are we going to look to those? Or are we going to say, no, actually, I'm going to deal with this on my own. And I think the answer is, if we try and deal with it on my own, it's, it's going to crush us. And we're going to end up embittered and thin yes. uh, not yeah we're cutting ourselves off from life so sometimes it can be quite we need to challenge ourselves even in the kind of the depths of suffering to say well i can go to jesus and it doesn't mean i need to have be reading long bible studies or to be doing all kinds of things but it means going to him to sit at his feet to to offer ourselves say lord i can't bear this on my own do you think it's possible that Christians can sometimes believe that and then try to live that out when they face suffering, but maybe have unrealistic expectations about what that means? That it's almost yeah. this too easy approach where if I just read my Bible enough, if I just pray enough, sure. then the suffering will end. Uh, but that's not not what you're saying. No. And it's not what Scripture says, is it, either? We think about so many examples. Think about David as he cries out in agony before the Lord in the Psalms, and we have to think about how Absalom treated him and this just real pain. And I, I'm pretty sure David was just struggling with pain and grief, that betrayal for the rest of his life. And we think about Jesus crying out in agony with loud cries. There's not us, there's, you know, there's, the skies aren't going to open and kind of stardust come down and make everything pretty and easy again. That's not... It's not what Jesus experienced, so it's not. There's no promise that we'll experience that, but we experience His, uh, the knowledge, the promise of heaven, of future hope, and the certainty of future hope, and the reality that we know fellowship in His sufferings. And again, it's: Do I want to be on my own with my grief and my pain, or do I want to be confident that Jesus is with me? even if the pain is still there, mm. but he's with me in it. Mm. All right, Lewis, how would you respond to somebody who sits down with you and says, my life is a mess because I'm stuck in sin. I know that's the main issue I'm facing. It's this persistent, difficult sin that I just can't shake. Mm. And I can see how it's just, how it's ruining my life. What would you say to yeah. someone like that? It's tempting. It's tempting to go to, plans and strategies for recovery but like any christian growth the lord is teaching us this it's 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 it begins at the cross it's about the encounter with the unconditionality of grace which knocks us out softens our heart 
woos and wins us all over again. You just have to walk through the gospel tenderly, firmly, clearly, starkly. Show them the alternatives to grace. Show them the glory of God's unconditional acceptance through Christ. Yeah, I think one of the things that that we've all experienced when it comes to our struggle against sin is at times it can there can be this hopelessness with it. There can be this maybe even I know God loves me and I, I know that yes. I'm I'm saved in the gospel, but I still feel this cynicism about my ability to conquer mm-hmm. this sin or that sin, and that can can really affect our whole Christian walk, every every facet of our lives. Um, yeah. So how do you how do you help people get over uh, or get through a hopelessness that's set in when it comes to their sin? Yeah, yeah. We must be very careful not to promise some full recovery or full victory because the Holy Spirit may or may not achieve that, this side of glory. And we don't want to give promises which the Lord has not given to individuals. But we do want to bring encouragement and set expectation of a degree of recovery. And I think as we talk to and walk with a dear brother or sister in these areas, it's just the loyalty, the commitment. How will they be confident the Lord is for them and is walking with them if we, the very person they have bravely disclosed to, is pretty half-hearted about it? There's a big emphasis on us as the encouragers, the exhorters, the prayers, and the the person of accountability. Sarah, do you want to? Sure. Yeah, I think I think one thing that maybe helps when we when we're thinking maybe about our own sin and just feeling really defeated and at a loss because it's just happened again, whether it's whatever it is, losing our temper or. or you know, not getting up in time to to read a Bible or something which feels much more major. Maybe there's envy or whatever, or greed or whatever it is that is besetting us. And we just think, I can't make progress. I can't go any further with this. That's it. I'm just going to have to decide that and concentrate on other things because I'm never going to conquer this sin. But I think that just thinking that this is a day that Lord has made, that each day is new, that wake up in the morning, we st- we still have the resources of the Holy Spirit we still have the promise of the gospel, the assurance of the of heaven, the knowledge that we are justified. Those gospel truths are not eradicated by besetting sins, by new new sins or old sins that just won't seem to go. Those, they are, those truths are true every morning, aren't they? And so every morning we can come and say, Lord, please help me today. I failed yesterday, but this morning, today, I need your help. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to change. And that honesty about ourselves, just really being honest with ourselves that this actually is a problem and and being honest about our lack of conviction that we can change, our honest about our lack of real trust and, and faith in the Lord in it, but confessing those things and coming back to grace and saying, Lord, I, I'm struggling to believe, I'm struggling to trust, I'm struggling to change, Lord, please give me your grace by your Holy Spirit. And then I think, as I said, taking, working out what are the small steps, what are the practical things that we can do, uh, whatever it is, removing ourselves from situations, but trying to break things down into small units and go like, okay, this is one thing that today I'm going to do. Okay. And then tomorrow we get to the end of the day. Okay. So tomorrow, well, can I do that thing again? And maybe there's something else I can do, but breaking things down 
and asking for God's grace. And I think that's what we're meaning about dependence. We depend. Grace is is a big, big word, isn't it? And the gospel is infinite in size for us to enjoy and to explore. But it's also we can experience it in the small things and in the little nitty gritty and the things that trip us up because it's often it's that gap between getting the big picture and then bringing it down to the immediate situations we find ourselves in. I think that's one of the motivations for the writing the book really is to think the some of the people who, who we enjoy spending time with, we're friends with the, the young people in our church, they get the big picture, but it's actually what does that mean? in the yes. on Monday morning yes. what does that mean uh, when I get home from work and I'm exhausted what does that mean when somebody else is not interested in me yeah so applying those gospels and breaking things down into small units to deal yes. with that's so helpful because it is easy to kind of know the theory at the 20,000 foot level but uh, yes. to then struggle to mm-hmm. actually implement it and think about how it applies to the small things maybe, maybe as a final yeah. scenario to respond to Sarah now how about someone who says mm-hmm. My life is a mess because I just feel like I'm failing. Uh, There's not like a particular sin that I would point to, but it just feels like whether in my marriage or with my kids or in my job or just Mm -hmm. life in general, I feel like a failure and I feel uh, like I can't measure up. Uh, What would you say to a person like that? Yeah, I don't know if in the US, but certainly in the UK, people... have really got into talking about the imposter syndrome. Mm, Is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, Absolutely. The kind of the saying oh you know you just don't feel up to it and as you're you're talking then it made me think about people struggling with imposter syndrome I think that's everybody isn't it I think we all think I can't do this I'm beyond I'm this years old and I should be able to do this and I can't and yet again I've just not got my life together and I think we often in those situations comparing ourselves to some imaginary ideal maybe propagated by the media or maybe just living in our own heads we think I should be this person and I'm not. And again, I think one of the things we need to do in those situations is to really be honest with ourselves and with the Lord and with the people that we're close to, Christians we're accountable to, and say, but actually, this is who I am. This is where I feel I'm I'm not getting things right. And to then try and break that down, I think being realistic, well, are my ideals, are my have I got an inflated idea of who I am? do I think I'm this great person who should have this wonderful life? And I'm just feeling a general malaise and feeling like I'm failing because I haven't got a beautiful house and my children don't do what I say quite a lot of the time or that my career isn't going as well as it should be or I've got this qualification and yet I'm stuck in this job. Or So I think we often, we're dealing with ideals which are just fabricated and so we need to be honest about that struggle and try and diagnose where that struggle's coming from, what's going on in our hearts. Have we got idols, which the reason we feel failing is because we're chasing after something, after an idol, which, which is never going to fulfill us. And then going back to Jesus' description of what the Christian life looks like, a life of joy, of community, of struggle, of times of rejection. And so to find be refreshed and find again, well, what is he calling me to? What does the normal Christian life look like? I think, well, actually, that's the life maybe that I'm I should be living or I am living. And to re-embrace that that journey with Jesus of in community with people who are a bit messy and with life circumstances that are going to be messy. So just acknowledging that that is reality and that is a good reality 
Does that answer some of the questions? Yeah, absolutely. Lewis, I've read uh, stats and surveys of pastors and, and heard that oftentimes pastors would say that they one of the things they struggle with the most is feeling like a failure, feeling like their ministry isn't good enough, it's not big enough, it's not fruitful enough. Is that something that you personally have ever wrestled with or that you've maybe other pastors that you know you've talked with? And, and how, how do you think about that in relation to this idea of resilience? I wrestle with it all the time. So often when I preach, I can barely get eye contact with people in the church. And I'm not meaning individuals, I'm meaning the whole church. I just think I, this is just so, I'm disappointed. I'm sure they're disappointed. I feel uncomfortable. I'm sure they do. But I, I know some of that can actually be motivated by pride. Because deep down, I want to believe that I'm something rather special. And I want them to believe that. And when the mask slips again and nobody's convinced, least of all me, it's all too painful. So um, I've learned slowly over the years to detect that proudful spirit in my mind, such that when I think I've done a bad job, it's usually not a sign of humility. It's a wicked brew, and I've thought such a lot about it. But I think, yeah pastors we just need to root ourselves every single day hour by hour and sunday by sunday in in the in christ's imputed righteousness and his declaration that we are saved treasured loved and through through the cross where we're we're adopted united with him we just preach the gospel to ourselves and we should not be surprised when we fall apart and our ministries fall apart so I was talking about realism. We just need profoundly realistic about our limitations and the reality of the devil, the problems of life. Often we, we long, we pass as long for ministry to be clean and manageable. Usually when it's clean and manageable, nothing's happening. Nothing good is happening. But for pastors who like to be in control, like to be orderly, it's a difficult thing to go and, and to embrace uncertainty and risk and danger because we feel very much like we're, we're, we're inching closer to the cliff edge of failure. So a bit of uh, a slightly broad brush answer, Matt, but yeah, you've really touched a chord in my heart. Yeah. We pastors, we're, we're an insecure bunch. We're always forgetting our security comes in Christ. We grow to depend on him. And that should breed resilient ministry. So then the next thing I wanted to hit on was the issue of habits, uh, distinctly Christian mm -hmm. habits that help us to build resilience into our lives. And habits is another one of those mm -hmm. topics that has received a lot of attention in our broader culture in recent years. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, speak to that and how that can help us to think and why that's an important part of the puzzle when we think about mm -hmm. resilience. Joy. I think it's easy to feel that we're either somebody who likes habits or a methodical person, or I'm just not that kind of person. I'm a creative. I kind of do things spontaneously. I think even for Lewis and myself, we fall slightly to either one side or the other of that. But I think habits are essential, even if we don't feel we're like the habity person, because we sometimes we just need things that we're just going to do we don't have to think about them we don't have to make that decision we know that in the morning the kettle goes on and we make the coffee and we open the bible and that's the time with the lord we're not having to make a decision every day about when that happens or when we get our food 
we close our eyes and we thank God for his grace and goodness in providing exactly what we need. Or, and those habits of prayer at set times of the day, when we're giving thanks for food or when we're going to sleep at night, they become lifelong, don't they? We model them to the people we live them with as housemates or children, and they shape who we are. Habits shape our ways of thinking. They shape our ways of feeling and responding so that when we are then in crisis, we're more likely to be carrying on. If we've got set times in prayer when that we get some awful illness or something dreadful happens, we're less likely to get derailed because we have the habit of this is just what I do. And even if it feels like going through the motion, we're kind of, we're there hmm. and the Lord can use that. Hmm. So helpful to think of those habits as they are things that we want to uh, get in place before the emergency strikes, because mm-hmm. at that point it's, it's too late to try to build a habit. I was very helped as a very young Christian reading J.I. Packer when he effectively said, holiness is habit. And for me, that for me from a very secular background, not with a Christian upbringing or training, that really took a lot of the mystery out of holiness in a very helpful way. How was I going to become more like the Lord Jesus? By developing spirit-led and empowered habits, which meant that I thought in certain ways, behaved in certain ways, desired in certain ways, habits, all the secular resilience and leadership books will say... Nobody achieves anything without habits. As you said, Sarah, we all slightly rather want to be impulsive and chase the next exciting or big thing. But it's like, it's the same in the Christian world. We learn the right ways to think, feel, and behave. The Spirit helps us to go to those reactions to the world or set those ambitions day by day. And he shapes us to be like Christ because he's a ways of seeking or responding to his grace. So... I often pull back against what I need, what I know is the right need to do just the same things each day. But when I do those things, life is simpler and clearer and almost always more fruitful. Hmm. Maybe as a final point here, the last thing that I wanted to highlight that, that we really need to have in place that you draw out throughout the whole book, and you've even mentioned it in this conversation a number of times, is just that hope, the future hope of the gospel and kind of what we're looking forward to. And I think this is one that's easy for us to assume as people, as Christians who have been in the faith, been in the church for a long time, it's easy to kind of want to skip over it because it feels so familiar and so almost trite sometimes. Mm -hmm. But maybe why, Lewis, would you say we shouldn't do that? We shouldn't rush past our hope in the gospel. We need to lean into our disappointments our failures, our mistakes, and not brush them off and allow them to teach and remind us that what the Bible is full of on every, almost every single page. Life is hard. Life is disappointing. Life is vapor. It's soon going to be gone. And our hearts get broken or embittered when we think, but this moment, this dream should last forever, should come to fulfillment. We just have to, we have to think of death many times every single day, but flip it and and think what comes next and just really train our hearts and therefore our values and our living and our habits and our disappointments on the inevitability 
of experiencing God's infinite love infinitely in the world to come and urging our brothers and sisters to do likewise and to weigh everything in the light of those coming certainties. Sarah, anything else you'd add as we kind of close? Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it's really easy, isn't it, to think about the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. It's like, that's what we've been talking about, the habits and the kind of how to deal with suffering in the here and now. Or, but all of that, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, is within the context of our heavenly hope, isn't it? We're doing those things because of the greater reality, which is yet to come. We have a foretaste of in the gospel. And if, if we didn't have that hope, why would we bother with all of those things? We do that because, and so we do need, I think it's, just said to to be reminding ourselves we're not going to be reminded by the world we live in our daily work life cleaning the house or whatever we're doing is not going to remind us of heaven we have to actively remind ourselves that this life is so transient and so futile and so frustrating and we have such glory ahead of ourselves and that is such food for us isn't it it's food that will keep us going Amidst all the frustration and difficulties, we know that there is a great glory and a great saviour, his personal presence ahead of us. So that is is such motivating, such delight and sweetness. And in those times, and I know certainly times when I felt really desolate, I thought, but but there's heaven to come. And it is sweet. It is a sweet thing to reflect on and to meditate on. And even in the best of times, we need to be reflecting on that, that this is just a a shadow. Mm. Well, Lewis and Sarah, thank you so much for talking with us today and, and sharing a little bit about lessons you've learned about what it means to pursue a resilient faith in our lives as Christians, uh, something that we all uh, want to do more and more. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Matt, very much. Thanks, Matt. That was Lewis and Sarah Allen on cultivating faith in the ups and downs of our lives as Christians. For more, be sure to check out their book with Crossway, Resilient Faith, Learning to Rely on Jesus in the Struggles of Life. Pick up a print copy of the book for 30% off or get the ebook or audiobook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org slash plus. For more audio content like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a review. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.